Welcome to New Mexico People, Places, and Ideas. I'm Steven Spitz. Today's guest may be the most famous comedian you've never heard of, and if you have, probably didn't think was real. If you believe that sounds strange, just keep listening as we talk with Santa Fe resident Jack Handy, the author of Saturday Night Live's Deep Thoughts and a new novel called The Stench of Honolulu. Jack Handy, welcome to the program. Well, thanks for having me on. Jack, later in the show, I want to talk with you about Saturday Night Live, Deep Thoughts, and, of course, your new novel. But let's start with how you broke into the comedy business. That's got to be difficult. It is, and it probably is a result of luck more than anything else. I happened to be living here in New Mexico way back in the early 70s in Santa Fe, working as a reporter for the New Mexican and living in like a 150-year-old adobe house up on Canyon Road that had been cut in half, and I lived on one side, and Steve Martin, the comedian, before he was famous, lived on the other side. And he would come over and, you know, play his banjo, and I got to know him and everything, and I moved on to a reporting job in San Antonio, Texas, and then I saw him on The Tonight Show. I was going, hey, my neighbor, and (laughs) I sent him some samples. I had been writing humor columns all the time and sent him some samples and said, can I write for your act? And he said, yeah, he liked it, and we have similar senses of humor, actually. And uh, I was going to so, say that. You both kind of use non-sequiturs as, as a form of humor, it seems to me. Yeah, yeah, and I've actually been uh, working with him. Uh, anyway, he called me out to work on his first TV special, and that was my proverbial lucky break. But uh, I remember working on that first special, and he said, and I wrote a joke for him, and he said, he said, believe it or not, I've written this joke. You know, so <laughs> it's like we do have a very similar kind of absurdist sense of humor, so it was a good fit. So when he was coming over and playing the banjo, you guys didn't talk about comedy and humor? You just <laughs> No, not really at all. Uh, I didn't know really who he was. He, he had been a writer, I think, on the Smothers Brothers and a couple other shows and was living in Santa Fe as just he liked it here and and he was sort of basing himself here while he traveled around doing nightclubs doing his his act his stand up act his stand up act and and building it up and so it was sort of odd it was serendipity or luck or whatever we so were, so this sounds like it might be somewhat difficult for somebody wanting to break into comedy to replicate to Yeah, but also it's just you keep sending out your stuff and and you know I I I sent out my stuff to other people and like you would get really nice letters like from Carol Burnett and stuff telling you you know you're funny but (laughs) yeah you're funny but it's hard to break in and you have to write you know you have to write for a specific show which is I'm pretty lazy so that was hard for me to do but um, so what do you think would have happened if if you hadn't had this fortuity. I am not sure. I'm not sure. Maybe eventually I would have mm-hmm. broken in. I guess my dream thing actually was to have like a syndicated humor column because mm. I had always written a humor column when I was editor of the high school paper and in college and, and working on other newspapers. So that, that was sort of my dream. And then I was thinking, well, I'll try to get into television. So I don't know. My mother always said, you can always go dig ditches for your Uncle Wally. Uh, so That must have been uh, quite an inducement to keep writing comedy. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, God bless them. Mothers are just so encouraging, aren't they? <laughs> yeah, I don't know what would have happened. But I think luck happens to people who keep pushing. You know, and I was young and, and 
pushy. So I think maybe something else would have happened. So eventually you get to Saturday Night Live, and uh, and how do, how do you convince them that, that they should hire you? Well, actually, Steve, uh, I, I did a couple of specials for Steve Martin and a couple of a few other shows out in L.A., and then Steve Martin actually recommended me to uh, Saturday Night Live because he was big in the early days there. Well, and, he did a lot uh, of a lot of shows. I saw him on a lot. Yeah, of yeah. So, so again, uh, you know, he came through for me. Um, I'm hoping he can do something else for me right now. I don't know what. So Saturday Night Live, the the writers for Saturday Night Live are thought of as sort of at least the stereotype is these are the most creative writers, comedy writers around. Is it? First of all, do you think that stereotype is accurate? Are these are these sort of the best of the best? Yes, we are. I think <laughs> we are the best. Very uh, modest. Stereotype is true. Yeah, there, it's it's a different kind of writing than most writing that's you know Hollywood writing, which is is mainly sitcom writing, which is jokes and character driven stuff. Saturday Night Live stuff is more premise driven, so it's. It's sort of a dying art form, although sketches, sketch writing actually shows are starting to come back, but it's sort of different from writing sitcoms. I used to tell people, for me, the best sketch writing is like someone who is in an absurd situation but is acting normally. And sitcoms, to me, are people who are in a normal situation but acting absurdly. And I kind of think sketch thing is funny or maybe it's just because that's what I naturally write but yeah. anyway do you sit around in a joke room and, and come up with these sketches or how, how does it actually work um, I was probably one of the few independent writers where I couldn't uh, wait until Tuesday night was our writing night to come up with an idea because it's like too much pressure I still have nightmares where it's like Tuesday night and I don't have an idea for the show. <laughs> the, the, the pressure, I've heard the pressure for Saturday Night Live writers is, is immense. It is very intense. So I would usually write something in my off weeks or come up with ideas and then write those up by myself. Occasionally I would write something with somebody else if we kind of sparked to an idea. Or I would write it up, something up with Jim Downey or Al Franken or somebody or Christine Zander. But mostly I would come up with my own ideas just because I didn't want to be paying behind the gun there on Tuesday night at midnight without an idea. <laughs> yeah. so, so the cast uh, of Saturday Night Live when you were there, and I'm, I'm not sure I quite have this right, but, I mean, they're incredibly talented people, successful people. Dana Carvey, Adam Sandler, Kevin Nealon, Mike Myers, Sarah Silverman, Chris mm-hmm. Rock, Chris Farley, Victoria exactly. Ch- I mean, these— now, again, these people sound like the pinnacle of comedians. Is that, again, true? Are there all these comedians out there that just sort of haven't made it, but that are just as good as these people, or are these people the best? Boy, I don't know. You never, you never know how these people come to you, but they were certainly really good. I mean, gosh, I worked Phil Hartman and Jan Hooks, and yeah. some of these people were just incredibly talented. So I don't know if there's... Just as talented people out there, <laughs> I kind of doubt that there's a ton of them out there just as talented, but there may be a few others. I don't know. Did you, did you write for specific people? I mean, for example, when you wrote a sketch, did you have, for example, Adam Sandler in mind or something? This He would be good in this piece or something. Yeah, and the reason that the writers had so much power on Saturday Night Live was when we wrote a sketch, we didn't put 
in the script, we didn't write like Fireman number one and Fireman number two and producers cast it. We wrote Dana Carvey or Adam Sandler. So we had leverage over the cast because we could put them in to a certain piece. But yeah, my stuff was sort of everyman kind of stuff where I, I didn't really write too much for a specific character or a specific comedians. That, that's why uh, Phil Hartman was in a lot of my pieces, because he could play so many different things. He really things. could. It, yeah, yeah. So how, how much did, did the cast contribute, and how much improvisation was there when the show actually happened? Uh, well, occasionally, you know, we would have rewrites in the cast. You know, the cast would occasionally come up with a line, but uh, they couldn't improv a lot because things were timed out and there were pieces of tape to mark on the floor you could call camera blocking and you have to walk to that piece of tape and deliver your line so you can't really improv a whole lot sometimes they'd come up with something good but my theory is on the side of the writers you know uh... I can't imagine why (laughs) (laughs) well you know it's sometimes like you will see on a set Someone will say the same line over and over and over because they're doing different takes or whatever, and eventually the comedian will notice it's not getting laughs anymore. So they'll come up with a new line that'll get a laugh. And the new line may not be as good, but because it's new, people will laugh at it. So I don't know. That That's one of the advantages of doing uh, a live show is you it's there for whatever it is and you don't have to go back and repeat it and try to write a new joke to fit in there and whatever well if you've just tuned in this is new mexico people places and ideas my name is steven spitz and i'm very pleased to have as my guest today jack handy jack is uh very famous for being a writer for saturday night live and specifically a bit called deep thoughts and if, if you watch Saturday Night Live, you, you have to remember Deep Thoughts. Now, Deep Thoughts doesn't happen right away when you come on to Saturday Night Live, even though you've come up with the idea, right? Yeah, I had actually been writing them for National Lampoon and for a college paper called Ampersand. And they were on briefly. Uh, Michael Nesmith of the Monkees had a, a comedy show, and they were on briefly on that. I was a writer on that. But, yeah... They kind of fought me to put them on at first, I think because they didn't want writers having like their own kind of signature piece on the show. Yeah, the uh, sketches aren't attributed to anyone. Right, exactly. But the irony is people think Jack Handy is a made-up name, so you finally get your little slice of fame, and then people think, oh, it's a made-up name. <laughs> so You still you can't, can't get a decent seat at a restaurant. <laughs> yeah, you still can't win. Yeah, no, I, I, I'll go into a clerk in a store and go, Jack Handy, like Saturday that thing from Saturday Night Live, and do you ever get that? And I go, yeah, that's me. And they go, no, really, it, it used to be this thing on Saturday Night Live, you know, and they still don't <laughs> believe you, you know, that you're an actual person. Do you, have you done stand-up, Jack? No, I never performed, and I was never on the show. I just sort of resisted it. I, I don't know why. I think I would be too nervous or something or too lazy to have to go to rehearsals or whatever, but... No, I never perform, so there's no face with it. And it sounds like a funny name. You know, my uh, the first time I ever sold a joke was to the comedian Steve Allen. And he, he wrote me back and said, first of all, your name sounds like a product. It's your new Jack Handy. It slices, it dices. It, you know. uh, anyway, the irony was people still think 
there is no Jack Handy. Usually they think it's either a compilation of the writers of Saturday Night Live or sometimes Al Franken, sometimes Steve Martin. So, you know, you can't win. It seems to me that it, it might be difficult to, to sell the idea of Deep Thoughts because it's a standalone one-liner, and that's so different than the rest of Saturday Night Live. It turned out to be a convenient thing because sometimes you need uh, 30 seconds or something to move the cameras or to give people a little extra time to get into makeup. So it kind of turned into a good little buffer between things. So it conveniently helped them. So Yeah, the probably. televisual format is actually excellent. And who came up with that? Did you was that your idea? I think that was my idea. Yeah. The, uh, the you mean the stock footage? That yeah, the thing? stock footage, the music. Yeah, well, the music was composed by Cheryl Hardwick, but the idea I think was mine of the stock footage. I looked at uh, miles and miles of footage of waving wheat and uh, <laughs> swaying palm trees and, you know, waterfalls. Yeah, I looked at a ton of it. So. So, so can you give us a couple examples of your favorite deep thoughts? Sure. Um, let's see. If you ever fall off the Sears Tower, just go real limp because maybe you'll look like a dummy and people will try to catch you because, hey, free dummy. Uh, here's another. If a kid asks where rain comes from, I think a cute thing to tell him is, God is crying. And if he asks why God is crying, another cute thing to tell him is, probably because of something you did. <laughs> here's one, an odd one. Lori got offended that I used the word puke, but to me, that's what her dinner tasted like. <laughs> what makes these funny? They're funny, but, but why? Uh, I don't know. I think I think the hardest thing for a lot of comedy writers is, is you have to get a character. And I wrote tons and tons of, of humor columns and stuff. And then after a while, you have to get a character. And this particular character is a crazy person who thinks he's normal and thinks he's sensitive. And, and there's probably some element of that in me myself but anyway i think i think that's what makes him funny is it's just a really cruel psychotic guy who thinks he's normal i I think maybe we all kind of worry that that's us we're we're crazy people who think we're normal (laughs) (laughs) that we're that guy yeah right (laughs) yeah exactly yeah i think so (laughs) so so where do these deep thoughts come from i mean how do you come up with these things well, usually I just lay on the floor and throw a ball against the ceiling, and I still type them all in 3 by 5 cards. I have drawers and drawers of 3 by 5 cards, and the attrition rate is pretty high. I mean, I would say it's 10 or 12 to 1 that I would use. You just throw out a lot of them, and, you know, it seems like a funny idea at the time, but then, huh? You know, <laughs> you just look at it and go, well, what was I thinking? So I have tons of bad ones is what I'm saying. And actually, Saturday Night Live is, again, supposedly famous for rejecting humor, you know, and the the writer finds out when the show happens that his writing didn't make it. So is, oh, that, is that something you went through? We used to have, you know, dress rehearsal, which was like a longer version of the show. And first of all, your piece had to get past read-through and get picked for the show. And then it would go to dress rehearsal, 
And they would cut a good half hour, maybe even more these days, out of the show between dress and air. Wow. So you would walk into the, you know, Lorne Michaels office and see if your card was still up there on the air show. And even sometimes in the air show, people forget it's a live show. Pieces would run long and they would actually cut things on air. So you never really knew until the show was over if your piece was actually on or not. This is New Mexico People, Places, and Ideas. My name is Stephen Spitzen, and we're very pleased to have on our show today Jack Handy. Jack has been a writer for Saturday Night Live. He wrote something called Deep Thoughts, and he's also published a new book, a novel, called The Stench of Honolulu. And I guess, Jack, why this book? Why did you decide to write this book? I guess calling it a novel is, is being nice. I mean, it's mainly just kind of a grab bag of jokes. But I was sort of curious. I had been thinking about the Deep Thoughts character going on a vacation to Hawaii And I just kind of wanted to put the Deep Thoughts character out in the field and see what kind of damage he could do. And so I thought, well, it's a really nice place where he could do a lot of damage. And so I thought of Hawaii. So that was just, I was just sort of curious, like, how he would interact with people out in the world as opposed to just telling his thoughts. So plotting and storyline wasn't something you were particularly concerned about. You wanted to use the storyline... To, to allow this character to be funny. If you've read the book, you can see the plot is not anything special, <laughs> to say the least. But, uh, I mean, it's just sort of a flimsy plot to hang jokes on. It almost makes fun of itself. The plot becomes funny itself, it seems to me. Yeah, and the, the bad thing about writing a, a novel, if you want to call this a novel, to me, is you can just keep rewriting it forever. And so maybe I should have focused more on the narration rather than the jokes, but I just thought, well, why not have this expositional line also be a joke? And so there's a lot of jokes in there, whether or not you think they're funny. There there are a lot of them in the book. So we have a reading, Jack, that you did for Studio 360, that the Studio 360 folks have been nice enough to allow us to play. Okay. When my friend Don suggested we go on a trip to the South Seas together and offered to pay for the whole thing, I thought, fine, but what's in it for me? After he explained that I'd be getting a free vacation, I still hesitated. It was true that, job-wise, I had some time. I had just been fired again. And after working there for nearly two months, I was ready for a vacation. But finally I said no. For one thing, I don't really like the tropics. The last time I went to the Caribbean, I wound up in a bongo factory, forced to make bongos. Also, I was making good progress on my novel, Muscular Angry Clown. It's about a well-built circus clown with a hot temper. I was at the part where he breaks the neck of the evil lion tamer. Also, I had been dating this woman, and we were really being in love. I can't remember her name right now, but she's great. I knew Don would ask me again. He doesn't have a lot of good friends. That's because he doesn't hang around in bars a lot, like I do. That's where you make your really good friends, in bars. Sure enough, Don called again. He said the reason for the trip was that his divorce had become final and he wanted to go someplace far away. And he wanted me to go because he had a bunch of different emotions and he wanted someone to share them with. 
That was when I pretended something was wrong with the phone and hung up. When Don called back, I used my Chinese voice and said, He no here. Why then, you're wondering, did I call Don back and agree to go on the trip with him? Someone lit a fire under me. And that someone was the Flamia brothers. They dragged me into an alley and lit a fire under me. They said that if I didn't pay them the money I owed them, they would put a device on my head. What kind of device, I said. Not a device, a vice. After I agreed to go, there were ominous warning signs. I got a letter addressed to occupant, but someone had crossed it out and written resident. I saw my name in a bowl of spaghetti, misspelled. I dreamed I was in the jungle holding a lighted stick of dynamite. I tried to throw it, but it stuck in my hand. Then I noticed the brand name, Sticky Dynamite. I woke up in a cold sweat. <laughs> Scariest of all was the hideous old crone. She pointed her long, crooked finger at Don and me and croaked, Do, Do not, not go, go on, on this trip. trip. There is nothing, nothing but, but death, death and destruction. destruction. Then she said, But if you do go, I can get you a really good deal. All we had to do was connect through St. Louis. Make sure your seat backs and tray tables are in their upright position. Next stop, Honolulu. So how much more difficult did you find writing this novel than actually doing Deep Thoughts itself? Because it seems to me there's a, a real similarity between the Deep Thoughts and uh, the stench of Honolulu. Yeah, it's basically uh, a bunch of deep thoughts strung together. But like I said, for me, I would rather just write a bunch of stuff and then weed through it and see if there's anything any good. And the trouble with writing a novel is, like I said, you can just keep rewriting it forever. And also, you know, you have to juggle the balls in the air where like if you go, well, if he knew that then, he wouldn't have said that. He had to have seen it somewhere, and so I'll have to set up where he saw it there, you know what I mean, that kind of thing. So to me, it's wasting a lot of time with logistics rather than humor. But So it sounds like you're not all that enthusiastic about writing another book like I might be. I, yeah, I'm thinking about it right now. I'm, I'm writing some new deep thoughts. I'm, I'm still doing occasional pieces for the New Yorker magazine, but, you know, I have an idea for possible novel, but I don't know. It's so hard. Maybe I'll do it. I don't know. I'll think about it. I guess the thing that occurs to me is, why take on such a task? If it's this difficult, if you have to rewrite it all the time, and and when I hear authors interviewed, it almost sounds like they don't have a choice. They're obsessed with writing. They have to write. Does that describe you? I don't think I have to write. I think, like the saying goes, I'm always suspicious when writers say, oh, I love writing. You just go, really? Um, you love pounding your head against the wall? And I don't know. The old saying is writers love to have, have written, which I think is more true. I read something what Woody Allen was saying, and it's probably true of me, too. Sometimes I think you write just to avoid. For him, it was he's saying falling into moroseness. You know, I, I wonder if I would just fall into dissipation, you know, if I didn't write or something. 
it's kind of just what you do. But, you know, but like, it sounds to me like starting in high school, you always were interested in writing. I mean, writing for the yeah, Santa Fe News. Yeah, writing I've always for been a writer. I, I, I studied journalism in college. I've always been a writer. But I wouldn't say I enjoy writing. It's just something that something that you do. You know, I, I guess that's a cliche, but... How, how did you get into humorous I mean, w- were you always funny? Did, did people in high school go, that Jack Handy guy, he's funny? Yeah, I had a humor column in high school, yeah. and I tell you the truth, I don't know where it comes from. It could be, you know, a lot of humor writers are obsessive-compulsive, and that's what I am. And it may just be bad brain wiring, you know, that makes you that way, and it just comes out. But I don't really remember going like, oh, I'm going to write funny stuff. It's just funny stuff comes out. So, Do you write serious stuff, too, or not? Oh, you know, when I was much younger, I would try to write a serious short story or so here and there, but it's usually was usually crap. <laughs> you know, it's, you know, it's whatever your your um, your muse tells you. So, you know, my muse didn't like serious stuff. So, so we're coming to the end of the show, and I'm just wondering: is retirement something you contemplate? What's the next phase for Jack Handy? What's the next thing for Jack Handy? Well, for right now, I'm writing some more deep thoughts just to kind of get back and see if I could still have that kind of, what was it, what was this, Dr. Strangelove, purity of essence, or <laughs> the, <laughs> the, the phrase he used, you know. And, you know, I like you say, I might write a novel. I don't know. I'm just kind of um, waiting to see. I think I will still keep writing because I'll probably just be bored if I didn't. Yeah, writing some more deep thoughts, maybe another novel, and occasionally some... New Yorker pieces. What about television, movies, stuff like that? I don't think so. I did enough television and movies, and, and it's fun. You know, I mean, Saturday Night Live was was a blast working there, you know, and the parties were great and everything. But uh, I think I've always sort of preferred print because it's on record as yours, you know, uh, whereas television is too collaborative, I think, in general. Um, Saturday Night Live is probably one of the few shows I could have written for because the, the, the writers do have a certain amount of independence there. And movies, God, I've written a few movie scripts, but they never seem to get made, which is the typical thing. So I don't know. I don't think I would do showbiz unless I just had a really good offer. I don't know. So that raises one final question with me, and that is, you know, you obviously, when you're working on Saturday Night Live, you lived in New York. You had lived in Santa Fe. You decided to move back to Santa Fe. Right. Why? What was the thought process on that? Basically, it's pretty simple. I lost my apartment in New York, and and I started looking around for a place to buy, and it was just crazy expensive, as people who live in New York know. So we think of Santa Fe as crazy expensive in New Mexico, but it's not not like New York, right? No, New York is like, I don't know, it's like a couple million dollars for a place that you lived in in college kind of stuff. And uh, a friend of mine in New York once said, and it's expensive to eat out in New York, too. She said, when you eat in a restaurant outside of New York, it's like they're giving the the food (laughs) away. Jack, I'm sorry to say we're out of time. I would like to thank my guest today so much, Jack Handy. Thanks also to my producer, Joe Green. You've been listening to New Mexico People, Places, and Ideas on KUNM. I'm Stephen Spitz. Podcasts of this show are available on iTunes under Stephen Spitz. Archives of my past shows are available at the Spitz Report. 
stevenspitz.com. Thanks for listening. See you next time.